This Choircast podcast is brought to you by Snarky Faith. Snarky Faith is a place where we dive headfirst in the tumultuous crossroad of life, culture, and politics in Christendom today. Fed up with the insanity in Christianity? Well, you'll feel right at home here. I'm Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is more than just a critique. Join me as we wrestle, question, and explore the dialogue that shapes our faith in the world today. So look for Snarky Faith wherever you listen to podcasts. Lord have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. What was that line from uh, from Finding Nemo? Don't, don't touch the butt. Yeah, don't touch the butt. Don't, don't touch, touch the, the butt. Don't touch the mic, man. <laughs> hey, uh, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. As always, just interjected right into the middle of of what we lovingly refer to as jocularity and frivolity. Go ahead, look those words up. That's another four dollar word, John. I know you give you give me crap for juxtaposition, and you drop those two words. I didn't give you crap. I applauded your effort. I just said that was, you didn't know what it meant. I neither know what either of those two words mean. I have an excellent vocabulary. I just don't have any understanding of any of the words I use. I, I aspire to be a David Bentley Hart who just throws out huge words and, and then people are either intimidated or, or just stop listening. One, either way is fine, actually. But hey, welcome back to the podcast. It always seems a little strange to introduce ourselves because like, we're like, if you click the button, you know what podcast you're on, right? But this is the thing that we call, this is not church. Hope. What, John? I said you would hope. Oh, I, <laughs> I thought you were going to like drop some insight. Like, you know, no. No. you shouldn't assume. You never know. You really you know what, but, you know uh, what assuming does. It, it, uh, I don't know. I don't want to finish that. My first boss, who I, to this day, I was 15 years old. And if I saw the man today, I would want to throw hands because that's how much I disliked him. That was his favorite thing to say. You know, if, oh, don't assume and assume it makes it out of you and me. I'm like, no, just you, actually. Um, but regardless, we're here, and uh, and this is the uh, the podcast. We call this uh, this is not church because if it was church, you would have left by now, and that might not be any truer than it is today. I mean, this is the day when we we actually prove that whole thing out. But anyway, we are uh, we are just uh, pleased as punch, as they say, as the kids say. You know, As the kids say, yes, yes. On the, I'm sure on, they say you know, that. Still. On the Twitters and the Instas. Um, and the interwebs. How are you now supposed to refer to Twitter? I don't I'm know. So put is off it now, by this is whole it now thing. X? Do we just say I, I, yeah, but I what is posted now? on did you, X? Or did you X? Yeah, I X. Dude, did you see that dude? He X'd out some stuff yesterday. That was, <laughs> that was whack. They, they, Elon Musk, how do you ruin everything? I don't know. Everything! I, just... Let them take but over. At the po- at, Ooh, as we he say should that, coach the Cowboys, John. Shut up. They can't as, get any worse. As we are waiting for this, I am. I, as we're talking about this, I am waiting for my Starlink satellite. Are you really? I really am. Oh, <laughs> I ordered it like three days ago. I live in All the right. middle of nowhere. Okay, it's my best I know. option. It, it is your best option. Elon but Musk as, gets more of my money. As we were saying, though, we are, as the kids say, pleased as much. We are tickled pink, as it were. To welcome uh, two guests, John, two for the price of one. Two for the price uh, of one. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So we have Victoria Rob Powers, and we also have Cameron Mason Vickery. And if I pronounce anyone's names wrong, blame John. <laughs> so let me give you a quick bio for them, and then we're just going to jump into all the awesomeness that is a conversation with them. So Victoria Rob Powers is a senior pastor at Royal Lane Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. 
already I have questions. <laughs> I mean, like how? You know what I'm saying? Like, no, like the first question is like, just how. Yeah, yeah. Like, huh? <laughs> well, no, I, I've known people who have been ordained in the Baptist church, women who have been ordained, but have never held a pastorate. Like, they'll do that. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes it's, anyway, we'll get into that in a second. But I'm like, I immediately have questions. Uh, she's the first female to pastor a Baptist church in the DFW Metroplex. She is a graduate of Baylor University and Bright Divinity School at TCU in Fort Worth. Victoria lives with her husband and three children in Lake Highlands. She loves to read, write, preach, and teach. Uh, we also have Cameron Mason Vickery, a graduate of Furman University and Wake Forest University of uh, School of Divinity. She currently works for Fellowship Southwest, sharing stories of ministry and mission along the U.S.-Mexico border and advocating for migrants. She is also passionate about public education and co-founded a nonprofit called Rooted, galvanizing parents of public school children to tell their stories and become advocates. Cameron lives in San Antonio with her family, and they've written a children's book called My Love, God is Everywhere, and so I'm sure we'll talk about that, as well as all of the other questions that I now immediately have. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, maybe by way of introduction, I know I read your bio, but that's, uh, that's always a little clinical and sterile. So uh, maybe maybe tell us a little bit more about yourselves. We'll start with Victoria, since you're on my left, and I'll go left to right. What do you say? Yes, sure. I am a native Texan. I was born and raised in West Texas, but found my way to Dallas about 13 years ago. So Dallas is now home to me. I have been in ministry for 13 years. I started as a hospital chaplain at a hospital in downtown Dallas, and then I felt a real sense of call to parish ministry. Uh, I was born Baptist, raised Baptist, actually grew up in a very uh, conservative evangelical Southern Baptist tradition. So I'd Grown up in the church, always loved the church, felt called to serve the church, but didn't really have an imagination for what that looked like for me because I never saw women in ministry. But when I got to college, I found out about a church in Waco, Texas, a Baptist church that had a female senior pastor. And I went one Sunday just out of curiosity. And, you know, I often tell people you can't be what you can't see. And as soon as I saw it, I knew that that was something that I could do too. So I was working as a hospital chaplain, felt a real sense of call to parish ministry. Unfortunately, in the state of Texas, in this landscape, there are not a lot of Baptist churches in the area that would call a female senior pastor. So I actually started serving in the United Methodist Church for about eight years. I did that as a Baptist, but by what they call extension of another denomination. Very grateful and indebted to the Methodist Church because they gave me pulpits to stand behind and communion tables to preside over uh, until there was an opportunity for me to return to my own tradition. So January 1st of this last year, Royal Lane Baptist Church here in Dallas was looking for a pastor and hired me, and I am their first female senior pastor in their 70 years of history, the first in the city of Dallas and the 35th in the state of Texas. So you were in uh, rarefied air, as it were. That's that's awesome. That's right. Yes. That's so cool. Um, before we get on to, to Cameron, I want to hear some from you, but is, is this a Southern Baptist church or another? No, no, another? it is affiliated with the Alliance of Baptists, which is gotcha. a much okay. more progressive Baptist tradition. So a lot of times what people don't know is Baptists are really very, very diverse because of our polity. 
we have so much freedom of expression that creates a whole plethora of different types of Baptists. But in this landscape, we're pretty heavily dominated by the Southern Baptist tradition. So when people hear Baptist, they automatically assume conservative, evangelical, far right, you know, certain things. But um, Royal Lane is actually quite the opposite. Gotcha. It's okay. very progressive, open-minded. It's an LGBTQ open and affirming church. It's a really wonderful place. So it is, it is unique. But one of the things that's really wonderful about them having called a female pastor is for a lot of Baptist churches, progressive Baptist churches, oftentimes people don't know that they're progressive. They just make assumptions, you know, because of being in Texas. But what helps Royal Lane, that's my church, is just like what happened earlier when you were reading my bio. As soon as they hear, you know, female senior pastor automatically starts to deconstruct, you know, whatever ideas you had about Baptists. So that's really a good thing, you know. So, yeah, that's amazing. There you uh, go. Awesome. Well, appreciate we, that. Thanks. We don't, ahead, we don't record video, but right there, that's my life. I'm a licensed Southern Baptist minister. So, Oh, really? Yeah, I don't, I'm not super proud of that anymore uh but <laughs> got it. Uh, I, get it. I, I am i am licensed southern baptist i also have a picture of you in a uh, oakland raiders shirt and you're not proud of that either so you, you do not have a picture you of weren't me, a kid you had no choice over the clothes i want proof of this one i want proof of this because i don't think you'd have that <laughs> okay maybe it was a chargers <laughs> shirt but something yeah, you were so, in something other than cowboys attire at one point in your life but, but it's okay i forgive you what I was getting at that is so yeah, most people I think do when they hear Baptists, even though they don't even know what they're thinking, they're thinking Southern Baptist, even even though they don't they don't connect with that. Because the Southern Baptist is such a large, very vocal part of the Baptist Yeah, high profile hierarchy or whatever you want to call it. And it's the reason I'm no longer Southern Baptist or no longer Baptist is because I was Southern Baptist and I couldn't I just couldn't deal with some of their bigotry and some of their you know, again, they don't they won't they would not ordain women, right? Uh, women could be teachers at best, right? And that was already, you know, that was already probably pushing the envelope. And they're they're definitely not LGBTQIA affirming at no, all. No, I had a friend though who was ordained, and she was she was Southern Baptist, and she was she she wanted to get into uh, prison chaplaincy, and they weren't going. They were going to so into women's prisons, and so that she sort of forced their hand to you know. Talk them into ordaining her. So he's in, she is a female ordained Southern Baptist minister. Um, she'll she never she she would never and will never pastor a church. And even in you know inside of the walls of her own church that she served at for years, they wouldn't refer to her that way. So, but it's anyway. But Cameron, uh, tell us a little bit more about you, if you don't mind, and we'll jump into some awesome stuff. Okay. So um, I. I'm from Dallas, grew up there. Um, Victoria and I crossed paths in Dallas for about a year uh, when she was coming to Dallas and I was just leaving. We were together. We we met each other at my dad's church. My dad was a pastor of a Baptist church in Dallas. And that's where we met when she was doing an internship there. My husband's a pastor. My father-in-law's a pastor. And I am also a pastor and I uh, went to um, divinity school and college and divinity school in the Carolinas. So I've mostly been in Dallas and then the Carolinas. And then on my way out of Dallas, met Victoria and moved to San Antonio where my husband is a pastor here in San Antonio. So theologically trained, mostly have worked outside the church in nonprofits, working on public education and immigration 
So um, that's kind of that story. I have three kids. They are all girls, 13, 11, and 8. So really kind of going through some fun parenting seasons right now. <laughs> I have I've been there and done that. I only I, have one girl, so I can't imagine three. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> well, my my, one, my 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 daughter's twenty four, so I mean, but I, I I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I love it. Good. I love it. I love teenagers. Yeah. So I'm yes, looking forward yes. to it. So I mentioned that I grew up in the church that Victoria served in for a little while in Dallas, and um, I never was Southern Baptist. When my dad came to that church as pastor way back in like 1989, 1990, uh, the first thing he did was leave the Southern Baptist Convention and start a different kind of Baptist denomination called Cooperative Baptist Fellowship over the issue of ordaining women in ministry. So I grew up with a totally different perspective of women can and should serve in the church in all the ways that men can and that women are just as called by God as men and just as capable. So that's kind of my background. Um, and we are, I think, a good pair because we are able to, you know, while Victoria has gone through some deconstruction and healing of theology, I've been able to um, kind of have a different perspective having not had to do that. So uh, I've <laughs> conversations about that all the time. Yeah. What, what's that like? <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice, huh? Yeah. yeah. To, to not have deconstructed. Well, I wrote a, you know, I, I just, my own book came out last month or month before. And I, I wrote in, in my intro to my book, you know, like I was just sort of like, okay, this book, you know, if you're doing this, 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 this is a good book for you. Like, you know, trying to sort of target my audience. And, and one of the things was like, hey, maybe if you don't need to deconstruct, this book isn't for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know who you are. There's bound to be one or two of you out there who weren't raised with a bunch of toxic theology. You found me. Um, yeah, good. <laughs> and for that, I think good on you. Kudos. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, you are say, in the minority. I will say, <laughs> yeah, I've had to go through phases where I've had to make my faith my own, right? And figure out some kind of really difficult theological truths that you know, sometimes that's painful, but it was never a crisis of faith for me. Um, cause I sort of grew up being allowed to question and to doubt and to have these tough conversations. And so, you know, my faith has certainly grown and evolved, but yeah, I didn't ever have to go through that, you know, dark night of the soul kind of. Yeah. Well, when it's presented to you, like it was to John and me and to many of us, I mean, when it was presented to you as an all or nothing proposition, it's like you buy all of it, or you're walking away from all of it. So the second, so it was always sort of in those terms of like, listen, if you're going to question this, you'll question everything. Why don't you just shut up and keep moving this direction? And so we were discouraged. We were discouraged from, I don't think that we were discouraged from having questions. We were encouraged to accept the pat responses to those questions and then stop asking. Does that make sense? Like, so, hey, what is, you know, I remember having some really nagging questions about the idea and the fairness and the like, the justice and all the stuff of, of an eternal hell. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. This does not jive with the picture of God that you've told me every, you know. And and they had an answer. It was a not very satisfying answer. It was, but that was it. And they were willing to discuss it up to the point where they gave me the answer. And I was supposed to say, oh, sure. Okay, that makes sense. And then move on. So it creates, I think, for the for those of us who have had to deconstruct or still deconstructing or whatever, I think a lot of that is born out of out of a situation that was created by the requirement for certitude. 
that we, you know, we were just, we were just supposed to be in lockstep. And had there been more flexibility and had there been more room for honest questions and for, you know, God forbid some doubt and some humility to say, listen, I don't have this all figured out. This is kind of where we think we are, but you know, let's have, I, I don't know. I think, I think the process for a lot of us would have been a lot smoother and a lot of, probably a lot less catastrophic in a lot of ways. Cause I do know people whose entire faith has been shipwrecked entirely. Well, I hope, I hope you're right. And that's part of the reason that we wrote the book. Um, we're hoping that we can kind of empower parents to pass on sort of a healthier theology to their kids and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I love it. So, so yeah, let's talk, let's, let's jump into the book then. I, I've, I've flipped through it. It's really beautiful. They did, did, did y'all, did one of y'all do the illustrations? And, no, or so, okay. we wrote okay. it. I wasn't sure if it was. We're, we're the co-authors. We wrote it together. Okay. Awesome. And uh, awesome. Victoria can tell you, but it's, it's a friend of hers that was the illustrator. Well, the illustrations are amazing. It's really, really cool. So yeah, walk us through the thought process of the book and, and you know, sort of the uh, thousand foot view or whatever. Yeah, I can do that. Well, I get asked pretty frequently as a mom and as a pastor for resources. Um, parents will ask me for resources to raise their children in the Christian faith books, you know, just all different kinds of things. And I was uh, realizing after being asked that question a dozen times, that I didn't have a really great answer for parents about resources that I trusted or children's books about faith for kids that I thought were healthy or good. I mean, I just, I get this question all the time and I always felt like I never had a great answer. So I actually had reached out to Cameron a few years ago. Our paths had crossed again after about 12 years of not being connected. And I thought, surely Cameron will know because she's a pastor. Like she said, her dad's a pastor. Her father-in-law's a pastor. Her husband's a pastor. They have three children. Cameron will know the answer to this. Um, so I reached out to her and, and uh, said, you know, I get this question a lot when parents ask you, what kinds of things do you recommend to them? And she said, you know, I really don't have a lot of resources either. Uh, maybe you and I should write a book. And I think she was sort of tongue in cheek about it. But what was really interesting is I had just been talking to a friend of mine who lives out in California. He and his wife are both illustrators. And they had said to me, you know, if you ever wrote a children's book, we would we would just love to illustrate it for you. So I said to Cameron, I don't know if you're serious or not, but I have this friend who's always wanted to illustrate a book for me. You know, I, I'd really do something like that if you wanted to. And she said, yeah, let's go for it. So it was during COVID. We were really hungry for a creative outlet and looking for a place to just do something out of passion and um, love. And so we wrote this book. It took us about a year. It took us a long time to sort of decide what did we want the book to be about? We knew that we wanted it to be some type of foundational theology book for kids, something that they could really build upon. And um, so we went through a series of different ideas and, and landed on this one. And um, then we just sort of lucked out with uh, an agent that we've known for a while that loved the book and wanted to represent us. And um, we've just been thrilled. It came out on August 15th. And it's been a really uh, exciting thing to see it out in the world. And I will say one of the greatest gifts uh, has been the friendship. Cameron and I were not really friends before we wrote this book. So the book developed as the friendship developed. But also in the process, we have come to find that the well is not as dry as we thought it was. Turns out there are a lot of great faith-based books for kids. Uh, you'd mentioned that you had Deneen Akers on a few weeks ago. She's wonderful. Matthew Paul Turner is wonderful. There's so many others. We just didn't know about them. 
So it's been delightful to discover that there actually are a lot of great faith-based books for kids out there that we could recommend. And, and we're happy now to be in the company of some really tremendous authors. So it's been pretty cool. No, that's really cool. I, I, I was unaware. I, I, like you, I, if, I, if, if you asked me I, about a good children's book that, that dealt with these kinds of... I, I would have had no answers except for maybe uh, Brad Jersak's book, which is phenomenal. It's called Jesus Showed Us. Um, and, but he was, and that's based off of his book, More Christ Like God. So it's, it goes sort of hand in hand with the, anyway, so it's, it's great, but I would have named two. And after we met Deneen, it was like, okay, there's, a, there's one more. So it's amazing that these books exist and maybe they just need more, need to be marketed better, maybe. Yeah. So much of what's in the public square for kids in the, in the religion department is really horrible. Kind of horrible. It's I mean, terrible. It's, it's, yeah. either, it's either mediocre, just retellings of Bible stories, or it's really horrifying stuff, you know, repackaged yeah. as children's you know, When we When we wrote our book, at one point I said to Cameron, I don't know if you know, Rachel Held Evans. Oh, yeah. She's incredible. You know, she passed away a few years ago, but her book had just come out. And I thought ours was a little too much like hers. And so I said to a friend of mine, gosh, I'm just worried that this is too similar. And she said to me, she's actually friends with Rachel. She said, if Rachel were here, she would tell you, please flood the shelves with books like mine. Children need better, you know, books about faith. And I've kind of held on to that because I think you're right. There's such, there's horrible um, books out there that can do a lot of damage, you know, to a child if, if you know, taught these ideas. So uh, we're grateful to provide an alternative message that we think is healthier and more life-giving. Yeah. I mean, even the thought of, you know, I, I, I think back to my Sunday school days, you know, when I was a kid and going into a Sunday school classroom with depictions of Noah's Ark all over the wall with happy-go-lucky animals that are about to be murdered. You know, it was like, this is, this is a, not a story for children. This is, this is God destroying 99.9% of life on the planet, if you believe the story that way. And you were like, and we've painted happy little murals on the walls of our children's nurseries and said, ah, but not you. Don't worry about it. God likes you. Everyone else can go get bent, but but you're good. So it there's so many sort of potential deep theological questions that that could be useful in, in that story. But I don't know. I've never I've I've never understood that as a children's story. You know what I mean? And so, and then to you know to to put that into a children's book of some kind and try to redeem it, I, like you said, oftentimes it just ends up being really really confusing. Or you know <laughs> you've got some poor kid sitting up in the middle of the night going. Like is like like what the hell is happening with this thing? But um, I'm so glad you did that. John and I had a really cool chance to. Uh, I never got to meet Rachel, um, but we had a chance to interview the uh, um, the Jeff Chu. I don't know if you know who Jeff Chu is. Who right? So we had, we had a chance to interview him. He finished her um, final book posthumously, and uh, just just an incredible human being he is. And uh, so that's as close as I've gotten to to uh, to Rachel in that way. But yeah, she was a uh, what a voice, you know. It's still one that's heartbreaking. But guess what? You're in that same vein. You get to carry on that same tradition. If not for Rachel, then there might not be a Victoria and a Cameron doing what they're doing. So that's what a legacy. Ah, sorry, I'm gushing. John, go ahead. Before we start recording, I said I I have questions, right? And um, Nat and I have talked about talked about this one before because it has come up and it, uh, it is one of the one of the one of the pages. I'm not going to. I don't want to read the whole book, right? I want people to buy it. But one of the things is 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 God here when I'm happy, or is God there there when I'm sad? And then the end of that, that the next page on that, you make a statement that for me, and I think Nat would agree. 
for a long time was a statement that would never be made within the church. And that was because sometimes God is sad. And, and then the same thing is like, because sometimes Jesus is sad, right? Which we see in the Bible, right? We have those moments where Jesus shows emotion and he shows that he is sad. But it was specifically within the Western evangelical church, this idea that Jesus or God would ever be sad shows that they have, then they connect that to fear and then God would never fear. So that can never happen. Right. So God would never be sad. Even though we can, I can point at places in the Bible where Jesus was. Right. But well, I mean, the, the shortest verse in the Bible. Right. Jesus wept. Why? Because he, no, he was sad. Don't worry. It well, wasn't and, that. and in reading this, you know, and I, I at one point I, I, I delved deeper into the story of Lazarus and, you know, the, the, the res, basically the resurrection of Lazarus. And as, as Jesus realizes that his friend is dead, right? That's the line, right? Jesus wept. And the line, that line, uh, even though it's the shortest verse in the Bible, the, the word they use for wept doesn't mean like tears came quietly down his face. That is Jesus on his, knees crying in anguish for his friend, right? It's not, oh, I'm sad. That yeah, was, one that single was tear like in that bummer. commercial. Yeah, bummer, he's dead. No, it's yeah. like one of the most Sobbing. devastating moments yeah. of Jesus is this moment where his friend Lazarus dies. and But it's, you know, it's been whittled down to this, right? The shortest verse in the Bible, which is Jesus wept. But that was, that's one of the first questions I had is, do, do you feel like, you would do you get any pushback because you say that that God is sometimes sad? Because I agree a thousand percent that sometimes God is sad. I, I, there's no way to look at the at what's going on on this planet and not think that sometimes if 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 there is a God and anyone who listens to this podcast know that I'm the one who's like I'm not really sure if there is or isn't one, but if there is, he's got to look down on this planet and just be sad from time to time. Yeah. So, and that's to either one of you or both of you. Yeah, we'll probably both. But um, to answer that last question, do we ever get pushback about it? No. I think Great. people are hungry it. to hear that good news. Um, because, yes, a lot of us really did learn that God is um, unchanging, right? And that God, and that kind of means that God can't have emotion. And um, because that feels like a slippery slope. And one of the things that we like to talk about a lot, and it's actually the reason that we wrote this book, is um, you know a lot of times we overemphasize the power of God, um, the presence of God's power in the world. And to me, that like unemotional, in control of everything, never getting sad because there's always a plan. God is is focusing on God's power, God's ultimate power in the world. And, and instead of that, we want to focus on the power of God's presence. So when you, when you kind of stop looking so much at just God's power and you really take a minute and focus on God's presence and how powerful that is in your day-to-day life and to know that God gets sad with you when things are hard, when you're sad, that God is the first one to grieve. And like you said, we see it in Jesus and we have Jesus so that we know what God is like, right? And so if Jesus grieves, then so does God. Um, and that was just something that was so important to us to instill in our children that no matter what you go through, and you will go through things because the Bible doesn't promise that if you have a relationship with God, if you 
are saved. That doesn't tell us that you're getting a free pass out of any suffering or trials. Um, We still live in this world. We are going to go through dark times, but God is with us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. But it doesn't say you're not going to have trouble. You're not going to go through that valley. It says that God will be with you. And so the power of God's presence, we believe, is really transformative and can really shape a child's theology and an adult's theology (laughs) in really meaningful ways. And so um, that is something that we believe is really sustainable and will help people not have to question so much um, all of their, you know, their belief in God when they go through something hard. They won't necessarily then have to say, you know, God, how could you let this happen to me? But they'll instead say, where are you, God, in this moment? Oh, you're right here with me. Your heart is breaking too. I feel your presence. And that that is just something that we believe is really comforting. Um, and Victoria can talk too about um, the moment that she remember that she learned this um, in, I guess you were in seminary, uh, the William Sloan Coffin story. I love that one. Oh, yeah. So I, uh, like I said, grew up in a very conservative tradition, pretty fundamentalist. And like you all, or like you had mentioned, John, there was no space for God to have any kind of emotion. If there was sadness, maybe it was just over my sinfulness or something. (laughs) Right, yeah. You could grieve God. Yeah, but like there was no sadness related to things that are really heartbreaking in this world outside of like their concept of sin. So I was in seminary. It was my, I was a first year student and I was in a systematic theology class and one of our assigned readings was William Sloan Coffin. He was a longtime pastor at Riverside Church in New York City. Uh, it was a eulogy that he had written for his son. His son had died in a horrible car accident somewhere outside of Boston, lost control of his car and went off a cliff and he drowned and it was just terrible. And in the eulogy, he had mentioned how many people had said like the most God-awful things you can imagine to a parent when something like that happens, you know, <laughs> like... God is a mystery or, you know, what all the like different things. And he said in the eulogy, you know, I just believe that when with that, when my son's car, you know, sort of made its way into the water, that God's heart was the first of all of our hearts to break. And it was, I mean, I was 19 years old when I read that. And it was, I mean, I mean, it's just surprising. It was the first time I had ever read or heard anything that created any kind of space in which God grieved the kinds of things that we grieve in which things like accidents and death and all these things that maybe they're contrary to God's good purposes. I mean, I just grew up in a tradition that didn't create any space for that. And I just remember thinking like, oh, maybe God is like better than I thought God was. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, think of that Anselm quote that God is uh, that which nothing greater can be thought. And I look back at my the tradition I grew up in, I'm like, man, can I imagine a, a greater God than that? You yeah. know, and so, yeah. so yeah, that was, we, we intentionally included that, that part in the book because hoping that children would learn earlier than 19 <laughs> that God grieves the really heartbreaking things about life and its brutalities and... So, yeah. It's weird because the only emotion that we were comfortable as evangelicals ever attributing to God really was anger. 
Like, we are fine with that. A wrathful God, we could wrap our heads around. You really pissed God off? We got that. You mentioned something about grief. Like, that was that cliche in the churches I grew up, like, you grieved the Holy Spirit. So God gets sad. Well, not in the way that you get sad. Like, he's, he's, he's sad about your sin, like you said. And I, I bring it up because what it did was it divorced me from my own emotions. It, because we were told that our emotions were base, that we had wicked and deceitful hearts that couldn't be trusted, and that we were supposed to somehow prize and prioritize their version of logic and reason over how we felt, which was to belittle and demean all of those first-line defense mechanisms we had against danger and against things that we knew were wrong. Uh, oh, no, no, I just that's just your feelings. You can't trust those things. It's borderline, maybe not even borderline. It is, it is, it is right there up on the line of child abuse in a lot of ways because you've taken away that thing that I think kids innately know when things aren't right, but they, but they've been told to not trust that. And that, anyway, that, that's good on you for that in the book because that leads kids towards a more healthy perspective of God and therefore a more healthy perspective um, of their, of themselves and their own power and their own, um, agency over their own lives. That's, that's huge. So amazing. Yeah. I guess that well, wasn't so much of a question as it was just a well, soapbox and, rant. <laughs> and, and I always get this quote wrong. So I, I'm not sure if I have, it's Carl Forehand, a friend of ours who, who comments on this sometimes. And I can't remember if it's Rachel Held Evans or Sarah Bessie who says it, but, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Either but way, one, you're a good company. One of them says, that the church ha- does doesn't have room for my grief, and that's that's one of I, I would say one of the reasons I did leave the church is there was no room in that church for my grief. Like I was grieving the loss of my connection to the divine. I was grieving my loss of my connection to my fellow human beings. And but if you were to if you were to vocalize that of yourself, that would that in itself was sinful. That you, you were, you, you didn't have a good connection to God because if you're grieving, then you haven't, you haven't, you haven't connected because God should be able to break that. Right. And so if, yeah, if, if we can teach children to, to understand, I mean, Nat and I lost a really good friend when I was in, I want to say I was in second grade and Nat was in first grade. And it was like the first time that we lost anybody of any, you know, like any, that was any closeness. And there was no, there was no talk about how to grieve that at all. It was just two kids that were six and seven years old trying to understand why their friend no longer shows up for school. And the church does a really good job of doing that too. It's like, you know, we'll just pray it away. Like you, uh, like you said, Victoria, you know, the cliches, you know, God needed another angel, and then, you know, we can, we can go off on that, right? If they happen to be a musician, God needed another guitar player for the band or God, you know, all those stupid, stupid things that really don't, they don't fix anything other than it's just an answer when you don't have an answer, as opposed to sitting next to someone and letting them cry. And I think I, in this one little, you know, it's, again, children's books, people like, I, I think people like to like, like pretend like they're not that important. Children's books are, very important. In these two pages, we how long have we been talking? About two pages of your book, right? Well, it kind of reminds me of what you said about the Bible verse, Jesus wept. Yeah. It's like, I can preach sermons on that one. Yes. 
Um, we have felt that really a lot in writing this book that you, we have to take, um, you know, these big theological concepts that are packed with meaning and reduce them to really small words, few words, simple words, you know, for children to read. And sometimes, sometimes there's a lot of meaning there. Uh, we hope that it's in our book, but kind of like the verse Jesus wept. I mean, right. Well, and there's a lot of room in that, in that line for discussion then rather than tell kids, you know, in, in a paragraph, this is how it lines out. Da, da, da. No, you leave something that is open ended that will hopefully lead them to say, Oh, I wonder what that means. And either think about it for themselves, reason through it, pray about it, talk to an adult, something. But it, it, it's, I think it's in the best, it's in the best tradition of education where we're not necessarily answering all the questions. We're giving, sometimes we're just leading to you to better questions. And so that's great. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for, you know, I, I've met, I've mentioned Brad Jerstack once already. I don't know if you know who he is. If you don't get to know him, he's amazing. Um, um, but I, his, his book, um, A More Christ-Like God can be boiled down to one really solitary tenet, which is God looks like Jesus. If it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not God. Simple, done. The fallout from that is, is more complicated than that. But it, it was such a simple place to start of like, okay, I don't know, really understand what God looks like. I don't understand all the, all of the seemingly contradictory things in the Bible through the Old New Testament. And, and when you can boil it down to, yeah, except if it doesn't look like Jesus, then I can say categorically it's not God the Father. And so we can work the rest of it out. But that's what it feels like your book is doing, is, is giving some fairly, not, not simplistic, simple is not simplistic, right? So some fairly simple, like, hey, these are some barometers. These are some measuring sticks. We can say that God is not located here, which is, I think, a huge mistake that evangelicalism has made forever, is locating God in a specific place at a specific time, right? And it's always someplace distant. So God isn't just here or here. God is everywhere. God is in my sadness, which a lot of times, I don't know if you've felt this in your own life, but there's a lot of times when grief is very heavy, you can feel isolated from God, you know, or abandoned by God. And so reassuring children that, that that's not the case. I just, anyway, I, I agree. And I, I don't have a question in any of that. I don't think I've had a question yet, John. <laughs> you know, I have a comment though. That's part of why we chose the book that we did to write. I mean, Cameron will tell you this because when we first started writing the book, we started asking parents, you know, what are some things that your kids ask you related to faith? And a really common question was related to God's location, God's geography, where is God? And, you know, we thought that's where we want to start is by locating God, not as white man in the sky beyond the clouds, you know, but God uh, everywhere. And so we set up the book, you know, it's a series of binary questions that the child asks. And we we did it that way because that's how children think. They learn opposites very early in life. You know, so we, we wanted to ask the questions the way a child would ask the questions. So it's always a, is God here or is God there? Here when I'm happy or there when I'm sad? Way up high or way down low? Here when I'm alive, there when I die. And then, you know, the way the mother answers is basically turning this either or into a both and, and hopefully reemphasizing the message over and over that God is in all places. There is no either or, there is no division. There is no place in which God is not. So um, anyways, Basically, just what you said right there is is why we chose the topic we chose. Well, you you just conveniently stepped into one of my other questions <gasps> about Good. the book. You stepped uh, in it now. <laughs> so my other my other uh, 
the other the other line, and again, I'm not reading the whole book. I'm going to read a couple pages. Is is God here when I'm alive? Is God there when I'm dead? Um, and the, the last line. Um, sorry, I'm reading your book on online, so it's kind of hard to read sometimes because uh, it says, "But even when you die, God's arms are stretched out wide, ready to wipe away your tears and greet you on the other side." So for me, as someone who I, I don't know where I where I sit with this idea of divinity or God. One of the first things I I needed to have questions about is like, what happens when I die? Where do I go when I die? Is God there? Period. And so I don't know. I might be reading my, a lot of what I believe God to do after death into it because I have a very strong connection of what I think happens after death, uh, regardless if you're a believer or not. Um, and I, but I think you guys have at least asked a very, very, very hard question, very difficult question in a way that even children can look at and go, okay, I can at least start from God's going to be there with his arms stretched out when I die and when I'm no longer part on this plane. But I think that opens up the question and it's a huge question of what happens when we die. And I, and I think it's, uh, it's so important because I can only speak for me. I know Nat and I've talked about this before. One of the hugest fears for me growing up within a very evangelical church was if I don't, if I don't have everything right when I die, bad crap's about to happen. Bad <laughs> things are about to happen. And yeah, so I lived in fear, so right? Yeah. And I think you're at least, you're at least opening a, a point where we can ask these questions and say, okay, okay. You say this, but what if I think this? And it's a good place to start. It's a launching pad, right? Well, and one of our goals is just to give a better answer to that question. I mean, kids ask all the time, what happens when I die? When they lose a pet or a grandparent or God forbid, somebody closer to them. It's just a question you can't avoid. Kids want to know. And uh, again, coming from a background in which I think that question was answered really poorly, we wanted to give an alternative answer so I grew up, you know, being taught all kinds of crazy concepts about um, heaven and hell. But even the things I grew up being taught about heaven, I've learned since getting older that a lot of them aren't even biblically based. They're more rooted in like Greek mythology and Western culture. And, you know, I there were terrible songs you may remember about the... Big, big house with lots and lots of room. <laughs> oh, great. Now that song's in my head. <laughs> welcome. Thanks, newsboys. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, but we no, it was audio adrenaline. My bad. Sorry. Go ahead. As, uh, as pastors and parents, we found that sometimes less is more. It, you know, we've got to create more space for mystery and what we don't know. And so one of the things we tell our children when they ask that question, what happens when I die? We just say, you go to God. I don't know anything else. <laughs> and I don't even really know what that means. But I do believe that nothing can separate us from God. You know, Roman scripture, nothing in life or death, things present or things to come, you know. Um, so that's that's what we offer to our children. And, and we think it's a better answer because it does. It creates more space for um, the mystery of what happens after death. and um, But it also does provide an assurance that that you're not alone. And funny enough, that answer actually suffices. It doesn't cover all of it. Of course, children, even adults, we're always going to be curious because we just don't know. But in terms of um, just providing an assurance to relieve any anxiety, like for my kids, that's been helpful, you know? And uh, 
more assuring than what I inherited, which was, it's going to be amazing. You'd never want to come back if you had the option. It goes on for forever. You know, that actually used to give me a lot of anxiety. Like, I don't want to do nothing forever. Yes, exactly. And so... That sounds awful. Yeah. I was the same. No, and I... It's like, first of all, I'm not joking when that song, when I'm, that song is literally in my head now. So thank you for that gift of whoever it was that sang that song. Um, but I was convinced that heaven would, uh, would have, um, football at least because it's in the song. So, um, Dallas that's Cowboy. Such a, oh, dear God, let's hope not. That, that, that's hey, the first hey, time hey, you'll hey, know hey, you went hey, to hell. Hey, if, you, hey, if, hey. if you close your eyes on this plane and you open them up and see the star, then the, you have gone to hell. <laughs> There's just no way America's team would. John's a Cowboys fan. I'm not. I'm, I'm from California. I represent my state. Niners, baby. All the time. All the way. Anyway, but the point is this, that you, you, a word you said just a second ago is, has become like one of the most important words for me. It was mystery. You know, and not in the way that it was used when I was younger, which was, in, there's a way to use that word to stymie questions. And say, ah, don't, it's a mystery. Don't worry about it. As in, like, you can shut down conversations by saying, that's, that's just not for us to know. God's too big to grasp. So just, or there's a way for, for you to engage with that word to say, no, no, actually, everything about God is, is a mystery. And it's something that can be explored for your entire life. Um, there are, you know, layers and layers to this. There are depths to this to, to explore. Um, which, which, precludes necessarily even the possibility of certainty. So so we can say things like, I don't know what happens when we die. I mean, the Bible is not clear on this. Um, Hollywood movies have jacked our brains up. And so we think we, you know, we go off to some weird judgment day thing or, or we, uh, you know, so literally, I, you know, I, I was raised on stories of walking on streets paved with gold and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think it's so liberating to say, I don't know, but that response you give to me is, is phenomenal. It's like we, we, we go to God. Whatever that means, I trust in that. Does that make sense? Like I don't have to have the answers as long as I have some sort of trust in whatever God is. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just randomly making statements because I'm, I'm enamored of the, of, the, of the topics that you're bringing. I really think that you bring a lot of sensitivity to it. Um, and I'm just, I just think it's an, I just think it's awesome. So this is more of a fan club than a interview, really. Um, I'm just, I just think it's great. But have you, has there been a challenge at all to, I mean, did, did you push back on yourself at all? Wanted to be more specific about any answers or, or was that your goal in the beginning? Just like, no, like there's not room here for sort of dogmatism or certainty in a children's book. I can't think of a single page where we wanted to be more specific. Good. <laughs> um, except for, I will say this, um, except for the question of, is God in him and her? Because we had an editor ask us if maybe we wanted to soften that language just in case someone hadn't, you know, asked Jesus into their hearts, you know, and then is, is God really in them? And no, we, we wanted to be very specific that God is in everyone. It doesn't matter who that presence, that, that, Imago Dei, everyone is created in the image of God and God is with everyone. We wanted to be very, very specific about that. Um, that's not exactly an answer to your question, but I yeah, no, thought of it. Um, but it's yeah, good. No, I like that. Go ahead. We are so thankful for our publisher, but I will say they tend to, Tommy Nelson is, is a little bit more conservative than we are. 
And so it was an interesting dance with the editor at times, because like Cameron said, they would raise questions that clearly we have theological differences about. And there were a few places where we put our foot down, like, is God here with him or there with her and said, nope, sorry, that's just not optional for us. And then other places where we compromised a little bit. Um, one of them was related to, is God here in these flowers or there in that dog? And, you know, there were some, um, hesitations about God being in the dog. So can we say God's, what is it, Cameron, that we landed on? With the dog. Like God's warmth is with the dog or something, you know, we had to like adjust the preposition and we were kind of irritated, but if you've ever published a book, you know, that that's, there's some give and take in that, but yeah, here with him or there with her, we we're able to sort of stand our ground on that one because we do believe that God is in all people. It doesn't matter who. Yeah. No, I agree. And uh, I, I have, that's why, that's why I like my publisher because he's like, eh, do what you want. I don't care. <laughs> the more controversial, the better. But that's a, that's the beauty of being, you know, with a boutique publisher who sort of thrives on controversy. So I understand. I, I, I know I went through some stuff, even writing some stuff that I wrote where I, I did that conversation in my head. Like, do I, do I want to, unnecessarily offend somebody or can I make this one little tweak and just sort of, that makes like, okay, I get that. Um, and more often than not, I landed on, nah, screw it, I'm just going to offend them. But there were times when I was like, eh, I'm not, there's no sense in necessarily like provoking people. So whether or not God is in the dog, I, I would, I'm not sure I would have planted my flag there and be like, I'm going to fight to the death on this one. <laughs> Although all of us who have dogs are like, of course. Come yes. on, man. Seriously? When we wrote the book, we asked parents and just surveyed a wide variety of people, you know, where do you see God most? Where do you find God? And, you know, the number one answer was my dog. And so that that had to be in the book. And I'm reminded there's a beautiful quote from Anne Lamont who said that uh, a dog is the closest we'll ever know to the love of God on this side of eternity. And so we just, for us and, you know, a children's book about God, you have to have a dog in there because I do think that there's something to that that's true that yeah. dogs just a lot about. And who doesn't love. love Anne Lamott? I mean, come on. Yes. She's amazing. So if you have a Same. connection, can get her on the show. That'd be phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't realize that, that very few people, by the way, said cat. So I, oh, yeah. we have many cats. I, think we, I think we all know, and I have a cat and John has well, lots of cats. The question wasn't, is God here in this dog or there in that cat? Because that would have been, that would have been a bigger controversy. I think. <laughs> and, well, because most, most, most cats think they are God. Right. That's, that's right. the problem. That's the so yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was this Bishop I knew though. And, uh, so like long story short, I was, I'm a recovering bigot. All right. I was raised evangelical. So my entire life was, was, was spent being taught that Catholics were all evil. Like they weren't, weren't even sure they were Christians. And so part of my deconstruction was, was like learning that, oh my gosh, there's like, there's more than this little tiny sliver of, you know, this little corner of evangelicalism. That's anyway. So long story short, I ended up meeting this guy and his name was uh, Michael Pfeiffer, Bishop Michael Pfeiffer, beautiful man, amazing man. And, uh, he, he said the same prayer on every, every little event we ever did together. It was like, Lord, let me, let me, let me see myself the way my dog sees me. Mm. You know, oh. Like, let me learn to love others the way my dog loves others. And it was just this sort of wholly accepting, unconditional, you know, like, let me see myself that way. Um, ah, man, it still brings tears to my eyes. Oh, and me so, too. And so, <laughs> I, 
there's there's divinity all around us. I have no issue whatsoever. The the concept of panentheism, not pantheism. So don't get crazy, people. Get not that God <laughs> is everything. I don't think the rock is God, but I can buy off on panentheism, which is that God is in everything, like the DNA yeah. of God. Yes, the creator of everything, supposedly, right? How could his how could his influence not be in everything? And so I have no issue saying, "Well, God's in the flower." Well, hell, even the you know, consider the lilies of the field, right? Um, and so uh, I love that you're opening that conversation up for kids because we all know that kids, I think, they gravitate towards that anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they and get it better think, than we do. Yeah, and if we're and if we're just careful enough not to screw it up. You know, and not or not become an obstacle to that, they'll naturally bend that way. I think most of them. So, I well, think and, it's and, a great and, resource. And I think Nat and I are—I can't speak for you guys—but Nat and I are products of churches who who definitely put the damper on questions, specifically. You know, and again, our listeners have heard this story. I, I, I'll whittle it down to a couple sentences. That I was a very curious kid. I had lots of questions. To the point where my parents were brought into the, the pastor's office and said, you know, these aren't questions for Sunday school. And, and I, but I think they are. Like, can you and imagine? I guarantee you. It was, it was, yeah. it was stupid. Wow. It was stupid questions, right? It was questions that kids would have. Like, you're telling me that Adam and Eve are the first two people on the planet and then they had kids. Well, who did they marry? Just really random. Yeah. Just <laughs> obvious questions. questions. Great questions. Yeah. Right. Or again, you know, I still so, don't have a good answer for that. I don't like, know. So, yeah, and, and, what, and maybe a little bit deeper, like, you know, so God killed everybody except Noah and his family. You're, you're telling me there was no other righteous person on the planet anywhere. And we've determined, and we've determined also that all the animals were also not righteous. Well, and all the babies. Just, and all the, right. Anyway. So, it, but, but that became like, that's too much for Sunday school. And so kids are smart. They understand when they are being told to basically shut their mouth. And, and that's kind of what happened to me. And, and that is like, okay, so I'll just sit here and I'll take in what you say and I won't ask any more questions. You know, John, this is um, really encouraging because Cameron and I were just talking earlier today about working on our next book, which is about uh, encouraging kids to keep their wonder and basically encouraging um, you know, my, my greatest hope for my children as it relates to the faith is that they always remain theologically curious. I think that is such a virtue. And I want to teach them early on. Ask questions. Faith should evolve. You're never going to get all the answers. Remain engaged. And um, I actually, I'm, I'm sad for your experience, but um, uh, I'm feeling a sense of affirmation in the direction that we're headed that this is a message that needs to be shared because there are children who feel like there's no space for questions. And I actually think questions are um, a wonderful tool and they're a sign of engagement. You clearly were engaged with your faith asking these questions. That should be celebrated. Why would it be, you know, deterred or I, I don't know. So anyway. Well, it's, 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 it goes back to that whole the whole sort of underlying issue with fundamentalism, which is the need for certainty. And so... Which is the opposite of faith. Well, I think of course. Like how, do you have, how do you have faith, right? 
opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. And yeah, no, you're right. So you, I mean, authentic faith has doubt built into it, Mm -hmm. um, which is, which is something I think we should have been taught as kids, you know, but, um, but you either have Sunday school teachers and listen, I've been in ministry almost my entire life. Um, this is the first, like this last year is the first time I've not been in pastoral ministry since I was a young man. Um, and so I understand that a lot of times positions are filled. Um, we had Sunday school teachers who were ill-equipped. To, to, so they might have been overwhelmed with the question and felt the need, like, like felt like they were supposed to have answers. And rather than say something, you know, honest, like, gosh, I don't know. It's a really good question. We should probably look into this. Or, hmm, go home and ask your parents. I don't know, something. They, they felt the need to either stifle the questions or give pat answers. Um, I was a youth pastor for a while, and um, I all, almost all of the time that I spent as a youth pastor, we I never I don't think I ever preached a sermon. Mm. I would gather up twenty five or thirty kids in a living room somewhere and just let them pepper me with questions. I love that. The more asinine, the better. Let's talk about all of it. Great. <laughs> and, and, yeah, yeah, it was fun. Oh, it was the best time. It was so organic. I couldn't replicate it if I ever wanted to or tried to. It was just this dynamic time of a bunch of kids who were a lot of whom were on the fringes of, of, of walking out on all of it, being given the space to say, I don't think I believe any of this and not be shouted down or shamed or criticized for it. I'm like, you know, I get it. There's days I wake up, I'm not sure I believe any of this bullshit either. So what do we do with that? <laughs> Got me in a lot of trouble, by the way. Um, but those kids, I still see them. They're adults with kids now. And a lot of t- I get a lot of, I get a lot of, conversations with them about, and that was the best. Like I was allowed to have all kinds, I was allowed to own these doubts and these, and, and to explore these things. So we need to give space for that. Books like this will help us. And if I can blow some more smoke, books like this will give people uh, resources to do that for themselves. Um, and also permission, I think, to do that for themselves. So um, I hope you write a series of books. I hope that's in the plan. I hope that, that you'll have you know, eight or 10 or 20 of these things that just, you know, cover a wide variety of topics. Um, be brave in what you choose to talk about. I'd love to see one that's, I know that you're, you're, you know, LGBTQI affirming. That's going to be a tightrope to walk inside of a faith community sometimes. But we need brave people to say brave things and challenge that as well. Well, and, and the other, the other side of this is, the majority of these books are going to be read specifically, at least in the beginning, by parents to ki- to children. So yeah, it gives exactly. it, it opens up the dialogue, right? Yeah. Which is, I think, what uh, the the most important thing is. It's not that a child has this book in their hands for the first time and reads it. It's that the child and a parent read it together, and so then the parents can also say, you know what, I have questions like this too. Yeah. To this day, I have questions like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not a weird anomaly to have these kinds of questions. And I'm 53 years old. I still like, you know, is God going to be there when I die? I sure hell hope so. And if so, what does he look like or she look like? What do they look like? Well, I still I still lean towards the Monty Python God up in the clouds with the gold because I'm just weird like that. Mine is just a big foot, <laughs> big, big foot that comes down and goes... <laughs> Yeah, that's, I like that. My favorite line for that whole thing was when God gets mad because he keeps groveling. Every time he talks to me, he's so, all... You know, we're not worthy this and blah, 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 that. Just like, <laughs> just, that's the way I imagine God. I think that's exactly right. Like a Monty Python sketch going, probably, just stop. Probably it. Yeah. <laughs> probably it's just, just stop with all the, all the, 
you know, all of the uh, the babbling and the <laughs> all the groveling. Stop with the groveling, right? Um, but I I agree with Nat that this uh, I I really do hope that you're writing more books uh, and this will become a series of books. Um, and again, I think this is something for parents and children to do together, um, and will strengthen. Like there were times where I you know because I didn't I didn't know how to vocalize my questions. There were times where I didn't go to my parents for these questions. But these kinds of books say, give the parents an opportunity to work through these questions together. And I think that's, that's super important. That's very vital um, to any kind of like open dialogue between children and parents as, as the children grow up. So I, I applaud you on that too. Like I said, I mean, people keep saying children's books are like not that deep. They're, they're, Come on, they're, man. Su- they're super deep. deep. <laughs> There's a lot going on. And, uh, I think there's a reason why people still go back to Dr. Seuss, right? You go back to Dr. I'm, you know, there's still reasons why people go back and read Shel Silverstein because they, they connected to you at uh, a younger level when you're younger and then they reconnect with you throughout your life as you, as you go back to them and look at them again and again and again. And I think that's something your book does. Uh, so I'd put you in that, I'd put you definitely in that camp. It's a book that's yeah. <laughs> uh, it's gonna it's gonna mean something to a child and it's gonna mean something to them as they grow older as well. Yeah, such a blessing. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for for taking the time and hanging out with us. Absolutely, um, yeah. If you've made it this far and you're listening still, audience, uh, I'm not sure why you haven't stopped. You should have paused about halfway through, gone and bought you know multiple copies of this book and sent them to your friends. But now go buy books. Um, so, but we uh, we'll link to everything in the show notes. Make sure people know how to get a, you know how to how to follow you on the socials if you if you do the you know what all the young kids do you yeah. know the X's and, Good. and yeah the we're on Instagram and, uh, at Reverend Mamas yeah. Threads are you on Threads? Does we anyone are. even do it? Does Threads exist? Yeah, we have. Hey, I'm on Threads. I'm on I, threads. I am too, but I don't do anything. I don't even know what. I'm not sure what I'm threading. I, I don't this is so weird. open it. So I think I, I have copy my. I think I have at least my Facebook. So, <laughs> well, since it's connected to Instagram, I just make sure everything on my Instagram shows up on my Threads. Yeah, also, I don't know. Every once in a while, I get an alert that like uh, somebody like did something. On, I'm like, oh yeah, Threads. That's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we'll make sure that 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 people know how to link to you there. Um, know how to get a copy of your book, and um, that's great. We appreciate you so much. Thanks for yeah. hanging out. Thanks, you guys. Yeah. Great. To we appreciate it. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.